Canadian Export Challenge and the Startup Canada Awards are coming to a city near you. Entrepreneurs in Vancouver, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Mississauga, Montreal, and Fredericton have the opportunity for a full-day entrepreneurial experience. In the morning and afternoon, attend your one-day global accelerator where you will connect to Canada's entire trade, export, and growth ecosystem. Accepted entrepreneurs have the chance to pitch to win $25,000 in cash and up to an additional $100,000 in in-kind scaling support. In the evening, celebrate the winners of the 2019 Startup Canada Awards who are driving innovation and growing the economy in your region. Register for the Canadian Export Challenge at startupcan.ca forward slash CXC and get your tickets to your local award ceremony at startupaward.ca. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. A real entrepreneur helping others succeed. This is your host, Rivers Corbett, on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs, build theirs this is my lane want to connect after the podcast you can find me at www.meetrivers.com this is michael litt co-founder and ceo of vidyard all right ladies and gentlemen welcome to the startup canada podcast show where we get to interview the shakers the makers and all that everything in between i'm just thrilled to have on our show today a real what i consider to be a thought leader and rock star. Yes, he's a thought leader, surfer, rock star, and serial entrepreneur, a true leader in the world of video. Michael Litt is turning viewers into customers as he leads the development of one of the most 
innovative video analytics technologies. Michael is an authority on entrepreneurship and connecting with audiences in the age of customer experience. He is a regular contributor to get this, hang on, because this is amazing as we go through it, to Fast Company, has been quoted in Forbes, WSJ, NY Times, that's the New York Times, and TechCrunch. Michael has been called upon to speak at TEDx, the Digital Collective, and Y Combinator's Ad Innovation Conference. He has been recognized with the Peter Brody Award for Canada's Next Generation Executive Leadership, Marketing Magazine's Top 30 Under 30, and Ernst Young's Entrepreneur of the Year. I have gone through that process, never made it to that level. It's hard to get to that point. Michael is engaging and inspiring public speaker with global experience, presenting to both large and intimate audience. At Vidyard, Michael is committed to turning viewers into customers, putting not only content behind play buttons, but get this purpose. Really interested in diving into that. Today's episode, we're going to talk to Michael about the power of video for communication, leveraging creativity to make people want tech, and scaling as a Canadian tech company. Michael, welcome to the show, or as you said, howdy. Howdy. Happy to be here. <laughs> howdy. He started off, we were on Skype, and I said, hi, Michael, we're ready to get going. And he comes back with howdy. And I said, that's fantastic. So then I got him live, and he says, good afternoon. I said, dude, what happened to Michael? <laughs> anyway, Michael, really thrilled to have you on the on the, uh, on the the show today. And, you know, um, uh, not necessarily going to flow in an order that makes sense, uh, but I want to start off with the whole scale-up experience, because I think, you know, that's a really a, a topic that doesn't get a lot of attention. It's a lot of the, a lot of its startup, uh, you know, uh, the first five years and so on. Can you talk to us um, about about uh, Vidyard and how it has scaled? And what were the what were the what was the point when you said you and your co-founder have said, okay, now we're ready to scale? And what were the keys to success that allowed you to scale to the point you're at? Already, that is a big question. That's kind of the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Welcome to the Startup Canada the, podcast. Uh, the <laughs> sole essence of the last six years of my existence distilled into a single question. Uh, where to start? So, first of all, <laughs> I'll say Canada is, in my opinion, one of the best places in the world to build uh, great technology. We have great uh, creative uh, technology minded people. We have great product people. We have great designers. One of the challenges with scaling a company in Canada, if you're a B2B SaaS company like we are, is scaling your GTM effort. Right. And that's a pretty well-documented and understood uh, aspect of, of this phase of growth. Um, but to rewind to kind of the, the tail end of your question there, you know, my co-founder and I uh, didn't really think about scaling the business um, from that kind of reference point, what we really thought about constantly was how to solve a problem for our customers, for our prospects, and for the world. And we were literally obsessed with it. Um, you know, we made videos for companies. Those companies want to understand how those videos were impacting their bottom line. And so we got really, really deep on understanding that by developing analytics tools. And, and we just were mm -hmm. so obsessed with the customer. We kept spending more time with them. They kept telling us more about what we could do to solve 
their problems. That just added to our roadmap. We were very selective of what we built. We just kept doing that and have kept doing that uh, since we started the company in fourth year engineering at the University of Waterloo in my dorm room. Right on. Y Combinator, the, um, the mentality there is to build something people want, and we still apply that to our company today. So it's been an incredible journey, but you know we've, we've never really said, hey, we want to be a 250-person company. We wanted to just solve the problem for as many customers in the world, and, and perhaps that's been you know, the key to our success and traction to date. So let's talk about that problem that you identified back in that fourth year. By the way, what dormitory? Uh, it was, uh, I said dorm room. I should have said my bedroom. Uh, my, uh, my, my brother and I bought a house near the University of Waterloo. Um, subprime, zero nice. down, you know, on the hopes and promise of eventually getting a job at, uh, at BlackBerry up the street. And uh, that became kind of a startup incubator. Brilliant. So that's where we, we really kind of set the purpose and the vision. Cool, cool. So, so uh, appreciate you doing that. And uh, so, let's dive back into you know what was uh, what was the the problem. You know, how did you first of all how did you identify the problem that you, you obviously became very passionate about as uh, you've gone through these six years? And is your Bart is your your brother your no, your other no, co-founder? No, yeah, I could never I could never run okay. a business with my brother. <laughs> I love okay. I can see yeah yeah I, I'm with you man my, my I've done it a few times with my brother and trust me yeah. good decision yeah 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 so um I was actually in California um working for a company called Cypress Semiconductor and Devin my co-founder flew out to California from Waterloo to drive back with me and uh it's a long drive you know, we did it in three days, but it's 4,800 kilometers and you spend a lot of time in that car together. And, uh, you know, two young gentlemen in fourth year engineering running out of stuff to talk about after about two and a half, three hours. And so we started kind of just <laughs> talking creatively about the experiences we'd had at companies. And one thing that resonated with both of us is that every business we'd work for as interns needed video to help describe their products, their technologies for both marketing, um, supporting and selling. And so we realized we could make videos better than the ones we had contracted companies to, to make. And that was a really great kind of low hanging business opportunity for us. And there wasn't that many companies doing animated video at the time. This is again, back in 2009, 2010. And so we started right. that business just to make videos for these companies, the, the platform, the product that was just a, a distant very distant vision that didn't even exist at that time. But I had one co-op job or one co-op placement remaining and I decided to take that one off. And instead of going to work for a company in Silicon Valley, uh, I stayed in Waterloo and really focused on getting this video production company going, which is called Redwoods Media. So, and when you started to then dive deeper into the customer experience, where did that take you? Yeah, so we'd make a video for a client and uh, the first question they'd ask is, how do we put this video on our website? And the easy answer was YouTube, Vimeo. Uh, but the challenges with those platforms were uh, the YouTube player, for instance, is is YouTube branded. It's black and red. If right. your website has blue, green, yellow, other colors, it, it looks out of place. And then at the end of the video, YouTube recommends a bunch of content, which takes you to YouTube.com, where their algorithm is designed to take you down the rabbit hole. Right. And you could be exposing your customers to competitors' content. 
You could be exposing them to their favorite cat videos. Either way, you worked so hard to get someone to your website and now you lost them because you were using YouTube. Mm. So we mm. built a simple uh, hosted video solution that was a player that was customizable uh, for that customer so that um, the video player itself was not an outbound link. And that got us into building uh, scalable service solutions and databases to manage the video content and make sure that the playback was as good or better than what YouTube provided. So that was kind of the, you know, the first initial step. And once we got that going, uh, we started to charge customers a very small monthly fee to host that video and use our player. And then we realized not only did we have this great services business in producing video, we had this software as a service uh, layer on top of it that was recurring revenue. And we realized as we and work with more customers, this base would grow and there'd be more sustainability in our business. And that was kind of cool. So um, when we started talking to those same customers, we asked them what else they'd like to see mm -hmm. providing. And, you know, the next logical step was how is this video performing? We spent, you know, $10,000 with you guys. I'd love to know how it's impacting our bottom line. And so then we went really deep on thinking about analytics and insights and how to make those analytics and insights valuable for those customers. And it really is just an ongoing, you know, phased approach of learning more and developing more and putting it out there and asking for money and, and really building this kind of organic SaaS business around the services business. Um, Michael, how would you... How would you uh, um, suggest to a company that's trying to disrupt a major player in in the space as you guys did with YouTube? How do you how do you do that? How, do, how did you guys do that so that clients prospects started to look your way? And keeping in mind, folks, this is at the very beginning of this journey where you're going up against an established uh, organization like YouTube. Can you talk about that sales marketing process that you went through uh, to, to get interest in what you guys were doing? Yeah, I mean, it was really easy to point out the challenges with a product like YouTube used in that context. Now, this is no knock against YouTube. It's the world's second largest search engine, obviously next to Google, um, under the alphabet structure. And your video content needs to be on YouTube. People will find you through YouTube. And so we've always worked with them. We syndicate our customers' content to their YouTube channels. We pull the YouTube analytics back in. Um, but on that specific use case, which was that earned and owed audience on your website, our customers knew that they could not have an outbound link. Nobody wants an outbound link on your homepage. Um, that's like digital marketing 101. And so it was very easy to communicate that value proposition. Right. And there wasn't that many solutions. In fact, there was none at the time that were customizable, would match your brand, allow you to have an interactive watermark in the player itself, and was really cheap and was provided by the company that was making your videos. So it was kind of an all-in-one solution. So we really initially just sold it to companies that we were making videos for. And then once we got to Y Combinator, right. we decided, you know what? The services business is actually impeding our ability to scale. Let's go and focus on finding more companies that have this YouTube challenge and just really simplify our message and our core offering at a cheap price to help them understand that they're losing customers to this leaky aspect of their funnel, which is this YouTube embed. So it's really about getting specific and really simple. 
So, so you've identified that you wanted to go over after existing YouTube uh, customers. Um, it may sound like a simple question, but I'm sure the answer is a little bit more complex than the question. Uh, how do you? How did you go about finding those organizations, and then the people within those organizations that ultimately uh, were the ones that were were the decision makers, the foxes in the henhouse, if I can call it that? Yeah, this is a great question, and and possibly one of the early silver bullets that um, we utilized in our arsenal. And that was we built a crawler that scanned uh, a database on the internet called DMOZ. And it basically ranked and filed all the companies in this business database and then crawled their homepages. And if you found a YouTube embed, it would put the company in a list and then it would look at the site map and find all the other videos embedded in the list. And so we got a list of companies that were using YouTube on their websites. And then we cross-referenced that data against Crunchbase and LinkedIn and other open APIs that we had access to to identify the size of the company. Cool. And then we ranked those businesses. And at the end of you know a week and a half of, of running this process, I had a list of 85,000 companies that we could target. And of course, incredible. that's way too many. And all I had was the website URLs. I didn't have, I had the company name in some cases, but wasn't enough information to really understand how to make that work. So I would then wake up in the morning and I'd carve out a list of, of 25 and I would try to identify the what I believe to be the decision makers in those businesses. And so I'd look at the marketing departments and I'd basically go uh, CMO, uh, VP marketing operations, uh, VP demand generation, find those roles and those contacts. And then I would do cold outreaches and I would literally just email them. Um, and then shortly thereafter, you know, you start to burn out on that process. I realized uh, we could we could work with Odesk and, and some of these other services to actually have someone rank and profile and find these contacts in businesses. And so while I'm sleeping, somebody can mm. work. And so while I'm working or waking, I can actually go out and contact these people. And so that 25 a day became 100 a day. And it was a six month month grind of doing that before we could actually afford to bring somebody in to do that for me and then would just flip me the more active accounts and deals and and that really got us out there talking to a lot of companies and understanding their pain and their problem um, and profiling them effectively which then allowed us to build better technology to suit their needs. We j- I just got off the phone with a uh, with a gentleman who owns a company called Kickass Media and uh, he was referencing that exact conversation you said find the problem find their pain that's where it had it's not who who we are and again we we forget about that so much we 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 forget we don't have we shouldn't be talking about ourselves we should be talking about what's deep inside the customer and, and really get to know who they are so uh, i'm glad that you just got, you've reinforced that point through a previous conversation that i just had um so you, uh, I got to ask you this question on you got 250 people working in your organization now yep Okay. How many of them would you classify as techies? That's a very good question. Um, and I know the answer, obviously. Our, our company is kind of a third engineering development product. Um, and then I would say more than a third of it is uh, sales, marketing, uh, essentially go-to-market in structure. Uh, and that remaining profile is obviously yes. finance, operations, all the stuff that keeps people happy and keeps the lights on. So, yeah, uh, the the second largest part of our org is is engineering and development. 
So part of the script that I got in front of me and our guys do a great job with it is that you're a believer that not just the, you shouldn't just focus on tech making side of the business for, uh, for doing what they do, that you embrace them also understanding, you know, elements of marketing sales and PR. Can you bring in your, your, your strategy? What was your, what's your, um, um, yeah, what's your, your strategy behind all encompassing for every player of your team as much as possible to have those other areas? Yeah. So, um, just to kind of clarify the question you're asking, um, if I can kind of comment on on what each function in the organization does to help our help our company grow. No, I'm 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 seeing that in part of what you do in building your team, building the culture, is that the tech guys also have to understand a little bit of the marketing, sales, and PR side. So, uh, if, can you and how you bridge those two together, and yet you don't silo them off, even though we just did a third, a third, they really are bridged together. Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, and, and when we moved into our current office, we're now spread across three floors, and the three floors are divided by operation. The second floor is all engineering and product related. And so, you know, they could easily be a second floor silo. So the way we conquer that is is kind of many feet. Um, the first way, and I think one of the important ways, is that we do daily catered lunches. Uh, and a lot of people see that as like, oh, you're chaining, you know, you're chaining them to their desk. We're not doing that. I mean, we have a very open concept. People are not allowed to walk around. They're allowed to go outside. They're allowed to go have a coffee. What the the lunch does is it brings everyone together once a day and it forces cross-functional conversations because you see people on different teams. You grab a seat somewhere and we really, really recommend people do that. And then the next way we ensure people do that is we actually have a bot that sits in Slack called Donut Be Shy. shy connects you with someone else in the org who you do not have very many um, uh, slack groups in common with um, for a coffee or a donut once every two weeks and what happens is because it's based on your um, your uh, your affiliations in slack you get a different person every single time that's very likely on a different team and so what that does is it creates empathy and compassion between engineers and salespeople and when you have that compassion in a cross-functional way there's more respect the culture works together there's a standing right. of the way things work and people just appreciate the work of each other more um, the next thing we do is just be radically transparent about the business metrics we just did the gtm all hands meeting today um, everybody in the company is there but we only talk about go to market we don't talk about technology at all but in that meeting we help the product people and the engineering people understand how their technologies are impacting people's lives to your point, it's got to be all about the customer. And even at this stage, you know, I still think sometimes Vidyard is a little too obsessed with Vidyard. We love our technology. It's really mm. does amazing things. And, you know, the big push for us to really build this business into something super meaningful and truly disruptive is to really focus on customer outcomes. They're our number one stakeholder. And by doing that, you really will naturally align everyone because everyone, even, you know, down through finance and and talent, HR and people will understand how what we're doing is impacting the world. And when people go home feeling that and thinking about that, you know, you can't help but build a broadly compassion that works together and has a really positive culture. 
how do you how do you build a culture that continuously has your team members focused on that customer exploration and understanding? Besides the things you've obviously just talked about. Yeah, so um, we have a stakeholder list. The number one stakeholder of this business is the customer. Next is the Vidyardians. Uh, then it is the community. And then finally, it is shareholders. And um, I, my co-founder, all the business leaders will take meetings in that order. So customers come first. We show that is the mm-hmm. case. Uh, we start uh, most of our programming with customer stories. We're really just, again, obsessed about the customer we talk about uh, the customer successes. We talk about the customer outcomes. Our company kickoff is happening in a few weeks. Again, it's all about the customer. We have a Vidyardianism document that people sign when they join the business. It's very focused on the customer. So it's constant reminders. And again, we can do a better job of this. And as I'm even saying these things, I'm, I'm reminded that you know, there's always more we can do. Uh, but if it's woven into the fabric of your culture, um, you know, people can't avoid it. And it's the thing people will talk about. You called them Vidyardians? Uh, Vidyardians. Vidyardians. So first of all, how'd you come up with the name Vidyard, you and your uh, your co-founder? What's uh, his or her uh, name? Co-founder's name is Devin Galloway. Devin, that's right. You talked about Devin earlier. So you and Devin, how'd you come up with the uh, the name Vidyard? <laughs> Yeah, so we uh, we had a dog and we attached a bunch of sticky notes to a wall. <laughs> and uh, we said, no, I'm just kidding. Oh, that's beautiful. You had me, yeah. man. For you had yeah, me. Because yeah. I can see you doing that. I, uh, I wish there was a story like that. I mean, ultimately, as every business goes through this pro- this process, some companies and founders take way too much time, you know, worrying about the name of their company and their brand. We knew we wanted to be very focused on video. So, you know, vid video, something to do with video had sure. to be in the title. And then, sure. you know, we started thinking about the fact that we're going to be an analytics and insights company. And so, you know, VidMeter was in that batch, but um, the concept of Vidyard was kind of cool because Everybody has positive affiliations with their yard. Um, the yard is a yes. unit of measurement in our primary market, which of course is the United States. And so, you know, the two kind of came together. The domain was available, and it was cheap. And uh, it just, you know, became <laughs> became pretty clear to us very very quickly. And uh, before that, we just called it Community Chest. That was kind of our internal secret name when we were when we were Redwoods Media. But you know, it was a two syllable uh, memorable domain name that had something to do with video that would be immediately recognizable and uh, it just made sense and once we picked it we we never looked back yeah brilliant man i love it i love it um you are a millennial uh and yet you you know i'm i'm a baby boomer at the be tail end not at the uh, beginning and you know we talk about you know generational uh, bridging and so on you're dealing now with the gen z workforce can you talk about moving beyond the millennial with uh, Vidyard and uh, how you're embracing the Gen Z and and also possibly how you're, you know, dealing with baby boomers. How do you do those cross-generational connections? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think when we think about our culture, um, we're careful uh, to recognize that it's ever-changing. And when you add people to the business, um, they don't necessarily need to be a culture fit. They need to be a culture add. So they need to be someone that... A different perspective and diversity, uh, whether that is gender, ethnicity, 
or age to the table. And that's been a big, big, big focus of our recruiting and HR and talent teams. So first and foremost, you know, having diversity across all the demographics you mentioned, boomers through to Gen Z is absolutely integral. Now, there's a big difference. Boomers generally have a lot more business experience unless they just walked out of a time machine, which doesn't exist. So, you know, those people are generally the leaders in the business. And, you know, they've been working with millennials for a long time and understand that the millennial generation is not necessarily as much about money title as it is about experiences. And so, you know, having, uh, and I'm a millennial and, and that's certainly what motivates me. And so, you know, you have to find leaders that understand that if the majority of your company uh, or, mm-hmm. or people in junior roles exist in a certain category, they have to understand how to manage them. Now, Generation Z, you know, in my opinion, there's 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 subtle differences between and and whatnot. Um, there are some more extreme ones. I mean, a millennial does not know what work was without the internet. A Gen Z right. does not know what work is without a mobile phone. And you know, Gen Z uh, folks come into the business if it's their first job, and let's say one of our junior roles, without having experience writing emails. And uh, that's something we need to teach, but we also need to provide tools and resources resources for them to communicate and work in the ways that are more natural. We don't want to force people into processes and programs that they're not necessarily comfortable with. So, you know, I think really just working across many demographics is, is all about listening um, and engaging and building a strong culture of, of open-mindedness, you know, finding people that are open to experimentation, you know, with, with process and technologies um, and just reminding everyone that that's what makes this company beautiful and that's what makes it really engaging. And, and I think that's worked well for us so far. In your experience with your customers, are the majority of them millennials or are they, uh, are they older? Well, we sell um, both top down in an organization. So, you know, through to CEO, CMO, CRO, mm-hmm. VP sales, VP marketing. We also have a free product, um, which kind of functions from the bottom up. So that product is called uh, GoVideo, video.com slash GoVideo. And what it is, is a screen recording or webcam recording tool, also available on mobile, whereby instead of sending an email to someone and writing the email, you actually send them a video message, which is available asynchronously. Um, right. and, and that video message is really cool because the Gen Z, who's often in those outbound sales roles, the you know junior sales roles in an organization, you know they know Instagram, they know Snapchat, they know video communications, and they expect it to be part of their workflow in the business. And so we enable that for them. Um, and so our customers then spread kind of all demographics because what will then happen is the VP sales or CRO of that company we just did a deal with a big business in Boston, um, that CRO will recognize that the Gen Z junior employees are getting value to this tool and they'll be the purchaser. So in that particular use case, we will um, work with a whole bunch of, of users and customers. And so we're technically building the technology for someone who is a Gen Z or a millennial, but we're selling it to um, potentially an older demographic. That's brilliant, man. Love it. Love it. Again, the bridging. I literally think that's cool. Um, what I'm about to say now will make a lot of parents very, very happy, particularly those of uh, of children that are that are getting arts degrees. Um, according to my research, my friend, Mr. Litt, the, you, have, uh, you have identified that why adding liberal arts majors should be a major focus for tech companies. Uh, did you indeed make that reference, first of all? And if you did, can you expand on that? 
Yes, that was indeed me. Um, so, uh, <laughs> I'm an engineer by training, um, did my undergrad at the University of Waterloo. To me at the time, that was a perfect and very complete program. Um, however, it did not give me any access to anything that would be classified as liberal arts or the humanities. Um, and then I met my wife who uh, did study in that world and also uh, has founded a startup of her own. And I was exposed to the gaps in my knowledge and understanding of people. And that was mm. a rude awakening because building a company is not just about building systems and technology. It's about building a group of people that work cohesively together. And humans are a very hard to understand variable in that equation. Um, obviously, my, my engineer is shining through here. But um, that was kind of the initial realization. Um, and then when you pair it back, you know, our company is not made up of, you know, 100% engineers. Initially, when we were building the technology, right. it was. But our people in, in, in finance and sales and operations and marketing and all the other organizations which make up, you know, two-thirds of this business do not have purely STEM backgrounds. And in fact, a lot of them and the majority of that group will have arts and liberal studies and humanities as their background. And so, of course, those programs are important. Those programs are what, you know, help people think creatively and help them think about how history is going to impact the future. Um, and some of the smartest people um, and hardest working and most productive people in this business do not come from pure STEM background. So I think in startup and technology land, we praise, you know, engineering and math and science uh, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. generally that's that's the epicenter of the creation. But what really builds these companies is the arts. Do you, do you find that uh, when you're talking to your brothers and sisters in the engineering world and you're talking at this level that they go, what, you're crazy that there's an awakening there with them? Or do you find that, uh, you know, that that premise is pretty well embraced? I think it's pretty well embraced at this stage. I mean, my, my uh, I always think of my, my peer group, our companies that are three, four steps ahead of me. And, you know, these are businesses right. approaching a thousand plus people and, you know, they get it first and foremost. Their executive sure. team are made up of people with, you know, backgrounds in, in the humanities. Um, and if they, they just need to get that diversity of talent and educational background is, is absolutely essential to productive scale. Um, I think yeah. it's at the earlier stages, right? Startups that, you know, might be in the Velocity Garage that, you know, really truly believe that they can build a successful business on technology alone. And, uh, that's just so rare. I don't, I can't think of, right. I mean, maybe Craigslist as an example, you know, just kind of Craig basement mm -hmm. building this tech and that thing blew up. But you know, those, those successes are far and few between. You need a diverse structure of people to really build a big business. A real golden nugget from this conversation. Michael, where's Vidyard going in the next two to three years? Yeah, so we are focused on really productive growth, not growth at all costs, flash in the pan, benefit style stuff. We are really interested in building two best-in-class SaaS metrics and building something sustainable that lasts for long term. So the next two, three years for us is a bunch of new technologies that truly drive customer impact. And again, we exist to help businesses and organizations succeed with the use of video and everything we do is going to be built around that. So we've got um, great OEM partnerships coming um, online very shortly with some amazing brands. Um, 
we've got tons of content producers and SIs that are, are helping us in exposing our technology to bigger networks. Um, we're building technology that does help selling and marketing, but also help supporting your customers. We're really just focused on being that video system of record for your business that enables video communication, you know, from, from your internal processes all the way to how you uh, communicate externally with your customers. Because as businesses go more digital, we're losing those in-person interactions, um, which right. help establish rapport. And video is the next best thing to being there in person, and therefore is the way we're going to build rapport in the future. And asynchronous video has a huge role there because people are so busy; it's very tough for them to actually have, you know, scheduled conversations. So that's the world we live in, and, and I'm just so excited, and I feel so grateful for the opportunity to build a business in this space. I think it's very cool. It really comes through in the in the way you know the the emotional tones of your of your of your voice talks. So you can really resonate with you that you are passionate about what you do. And and uh, you know you talked about Canada having great talent uh, available to us, and and it does. If you had the opportunity to discuss one on one with our prime minister about what he needs to do within the next year to really make a, a, a impactful change on the entrepreneurial landscape what would you suggest that he and his team do oh that's a big one so um, I've been involved <laughs> in a lot of these discussions and, and you know I feel honored to be included I think the there's been a lot of movement right the one was procurement although I don't know yes. many companies that have actually accessed the government as a procurement facility and I think it takes a long time for the government to figure this this new change out and by the time it does a lot of these technologies are going to have moved on or no longer exist so I think a sense of urgency around this procurement program would be great um, global skills strategy makes it easier to import talent into the country Canada made a big bet on immigration long ago um, continues to do so today I think that was a very a very strong 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 move there's Tons of funding available uh, for innovation companies focused on diverse organizations. So, again, very strong move. We've yet to see that stuff come to fruition, but it does sound like it's in play um, and is ultimately very exciting. One of the things that I get excited about is digital adoption you know, across the country and making technology Right. Making Canadians aware of what the future of technology looks like so that more Canadians can get involved in this industry. And we as a country can be the comp or the country that develops the technologies that the rest of the world uses. Because as AI becomes more uh, prolific across the world, we want to be the country that invented the tech, not the country that ultimately uses the tech uh, to offset jobs. Um, the, the, the last thing I'll say, and this is possibly the biggest one for me, you know, when I think of where government plays that private does not it's really an infrastructure and you know Canada is is a collection of kind of like communities and you know the greater Toronto area has great pockets of innovation Waterloo has great pockets of innovation you know that is a corridor that goes all the way up to Ottawa that has awesome technology companies with a collectively large market cap allowing the talent and the money to flow more freely via transportation through that corridor is a no-brainer and for me to get to Toronto in some in some days it would take me two and a half to three hours and I just don't have that time and it's ridiculous to right. think that the busiest highway in North America does not have a suitable rail option uh, to commute along that corridor as other ecosystems do um, and you know we're looking at countries like China and maybe that's a bad comparison but they're building you know uh, more kilometers of 
of, of, of rail, high speed rail, than the distances I just discussed every like three to four weeks because they're investing so heavily in infrastructure. And, uh, you know, I worry about what that means for the future of Canada if we can't pull the trigger on these things fast enough. It's a, you know, a very interesting reference point you make because on one side you're connecting with, you know, we need to really understand what the digital opportunity brings us as a country. But also, I think this is what you're saying underlying this, we still need the ability to be face to face and develop those relationships so that we can connect with our clients and really, really understand what they're, uh, what they're, what they're about and, and suppliers and so on. Is, is that, is, is that a fair representation of what you're saying? Yeah, for for me, it's it's more about the easy flow of talent. So, for instance, right, we have right. the theoretical physics center in in uh, in Waterloo um, that has the Hawking's wing. Uh, may he, he rest in peace, obviously. Um, and they bring in um, some of the best theoretical physicists in the world. Now, these theoretical physicists might have a partner who's also pretty high intellectual horsepower, maybe in finance, maybe in tech. What if there isn't an opportunity for them in Waterloo and they want to live in Toronto, but also work at the Perimeter Institute and they need to be there in person because that's really about collaborative on demand. It's company building talent needs to collaborate. You know, unless virtual reality can, can replace that in-person thing, that's the one area where you know, being in person is really important. That couple likely won't even consider moving to Canada because they cannot find opportunities for both. And there is not ease right. of transportation between, you know, those two very important regions in that specific process. And that's not even in, in tech, right? Um, and so I worry that as a complete package, Canada has, you know, a great political system. We're socially liberal. That's got to be very attractive you know, to people that are afraid of what's happening south of the border and elsewhere in the world. But as a complete package, are they moving here en masse? They're not. And so we got to figure out the things that people really want to make this a sustainable ecosystem. Brilliant. Michael, this has been a, a higher level conversation than I thought it was going to be, but one that I totally understand what you're talking about. And so congratulations for uh, being able to bridge that for me. And if you did it for me, you've definitely did it for our listeners. Uh, congratulations on the journey with Vidyard, you and, uh, and Devin on that regard. Keep doing your magic. Uh, I've made copious uh, um, notes on our conversation today. I got to tell you, it's highlighted by the train, to be quite honest with you, from that labor perspective. Nobody in my views, in my conversations, have ever referenced that point of transporting labor to it was always it's always about creating communities not necessarily transporting so uh, all in all sir thank you so much for your time um and um, we look for the opportunity to chat again thank you rivers i really appreciate the opportunity to uh give you some brain puke oh before you bring puke there we go there, there's a good howdy dan listen before we go how do people get in touch with the, what's the url for uh, for vidyard i have it on my script but i want you to say it it is www.vidyard.com and do you mind if people reach out to you on linkedin not at all perfect that's really good that's michael lit l-i-t-t all right again sir thank you very much as canadians we're lucky to have you and uh, we'll talk to you real soon thank you rivers chat soon 
Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. 